Hi, and welcome to the Burning Ones podcast. Our desire is to see people all around the world burn for one name, Jesus. We pray that you experience the love and power of Him through this journey. Thank you for joining us, and may burning witnesses arise. Do you have your Bible? Um, you can see I, I have mine here. I actually have my verse of emphasis highlighted. Uh, but if you have yours, you can open it to the book of Psalms. And we're going to look at Psalm 45, one verse in Psalm 45, uh, not because that one verse is any more or less important than all of the others, but we are going to use that one verse and then share a few thoughts on what I believe uh, is in my heart for us today. In Psalm 45 writes, for you have loved righteousness, this is verse 7, and hated wickedness. Listen to that, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Right? We are living in days right now where people are calling evil good and good evil. Uh, we understand these are days that have been prophesied about. Uh, anybody that's actually read the book, uh, right? anybody that's actually invested time into the scriptures, you understand that we are in a moment of escalation and that it is going to continue to increase. Um, there is going to be a demonic escalation. There is going to be a release of wickedness, corruption, sin. It is going to saturate all of culture, right? We understand even in the Psalm 2 prophetic exhortation, why do the nations rage against God and his rightful choice to be the ruler of the universe? Um, why do the nations rage? Right? Let's understand, right? This prophetic declaration, this prophetic exhortation that David is writing in Psalm 2 is speaking about a situation where all of the nations of the earth are going to rally together in what seems like an agreement. There's going to be a unified front, a demonstration, and it is going to express itself against God. There is going to be a full-blown manifestation, not undercover stuff, not stuff on the sidelines, not peripheral, not secondary. There's going to be an ultimate issue as we lead in towards the last days. We understand there's going to be a global escalation of darkness and corruption. Why do the nations rage? And now that doesn't create an exemption for your favorite nation. Why do the nations rage? There's going to be a global demonic sense of unity against God and against God's selection of the king of the universe, that being his son, Jesus. Why do the nations rage against the Lord and his anointed one? Now, I, I get it. Um, it. It is potentially unfathomable to us to consider a moment in history when all of the world, when all of the nations will be unified in a singular agenda to dethrone God and his ways in every point that it touches life and culture. There will be a very intentional effort, systematically even if you would, 
to completely deconstruct all of God's loving influence and power, all of God's authority and every place that it finds itself as a touch point, whether it be in the heart of a person, whether it be in the ways that culture has been constructed around certain Christian principles or ethics or thoughts, um, there is going to be, listen to this, why do the nations rage against God and his anointed one. Now I get it. it. It may be unfathomable. It may be very difficult for us to entertain the idea that there is going to come a time, a season. We would consider that to be the end of the age. There's going to be a season that hits the globe where all of the nations are going to be hostile towards God and towards those that love him and love his ways. There's coming a end time scenario where darkness will escalate, the nations will rage, and in that rage, there is going to be a hostility that gets demonstrated throughout the world against God and against those that love him and those that love his ways. And that might be difficult for us to consider because right now, it's just apparent to us, and we've grown somewhat comfortable with the association of persecution only being demonstrated in particular nations, right? We, we understand right now that there are beautiful saints throughout the world that are being persecuted because of their unwillingness to turn from their loving obedience and devotion to Jesus as King. We all understand that. We all understand that throughout the world, there are a variety of places, pockets, nations, people groups, ideologies, radical entities that are hell bent on finding believers wherever they are, hunting them down, persecuting them, torturing them, and in most cases, executing them, and if not, jailing them in an attempt to execute them. We understand that this is a part of the global infrastructure right now. But what David is saying in Psalm 2 is that there's coming a season when the end time scenario is going to be on full display. And not just certain nations as we've grown comfortable with it being, not just particularly dark nations, hard nations, as we try to consider them, well, those are just closed off nations and we expect that. The gospel really hasn't found a really big platform or a really sense of advancing. It's more of an underground thing. It's a grassroots movement. It's more of like an organism, you know, organic. It's more, you know, life on life relational type stuff. We, we understand that. But this is not talking about what we consider now to be closed off nations. It's not talking about what we consider to be dark nations. It's not talking about what we consider to be post-Christian nations. It's not talking about what we would call, well, those are just tough or unreached nations. No, no, no. The nations. The nations. This is a all for one and one for all. This is a demonically unified demonstration. 
as we lean in towards the end of the age. And when I say towards the end of the age, what I'm talking about is when this time period, this era, this age that you and I are living in, we are leaning in as we grow increasingly more aware and as days continue to go by, we are leaning in in a greater way towards what the Bible would call the end of the age. When God will no longer resist the releasing of his son for his second return. But Jesus will be released and the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the rightful ruler of all of the universe, God's selection of the King, the one who will rule to whom has been given a kingdom dominion. It is unending. He will bring judgment. He will bring eviction. He will bring salvation. There will be reconciliation and all things will be reconciled into and unto Jesus as King and into and unto a perfect expression of his father's loving righteousness. Everything will be made obedient and subject to that. It is the ultimate sense of salvation and it will be forever. It's what we're leaning in towards, the end of the age. But in Psalm 45, the writer says, for you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. We already said that we're living in days right now. You know it as well as I do. Um, you don't have to go far. You don't have to take a lot of time to try to look and investigate. We are living in days where people are saying that what is evil is good, that what is corrupt is good, that what is sinful is good, that what is dark uh, is good. We are living in these days and they are saying that what is good is evil. Now, who ultimately gets to determine what's good and what's evil? Well, we as humans, as creatures, do not have the actual capacity to make an overall assessment on morality as it governs creation. We are not the creator. We are the created. We are the creatures that have been formed. We are humans. We are fleshly. We are temporal. Although those of us that believe in Jesus, those of us who bear the spirit, we understand that what is temporal is one day, as Paul says, in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, what is temporal will become eternal. We understand that we are living for more than just the moment that many times creates the pressure cooker and tries to influence the way that we live our life. We are living for much more than just the bubble of immediacy that at times wants to attempt to govern how it is that we conduct ourselves. We're not living for just right now because we understand those of us who love Jesus and have the spirit, there's a whole lot more than just right now. There's forever coming. There's forever coming but we're living in a time period that's been given to us to do whatever we must in order to cultivate a greater love for Jesus. We've been given time in order to develop in a greater way the love that we say we have for him. We are living in days where the ultimate test that hits our heart is do we actually love him? I'm not asking you if you say you do, uh, because we understand we say a lot of things at times that just aren't true. 
Um, and then we say a lot of things that we don't actually live. Um, and then we say a lot of things that are falsified because of the perception of the benefits that it's going to get. Um, we, we say a lot of things and the incentives or the motives for which we say certain things a lot of the time depend on what we believe is going to be received whenever we say certain things. Um, but that's just the way that it goes. And at times that's human nature. And so I'm not saying that we are to develop a greater language that says we love him. But what I'm saying is that in the crucible of life and as life hits the front door of my heart, my test is that in real time, am I actually going to live out what comes out of my mouth? Will I say that I love him and then deny him with the way that I live my life? Will I say that I love him because of all of the perception of the benefits that are associated with saying that I love him, even though I'm really living ultimately for myself, I'm really doing my own thing. I don't actually love him. I love the idea of the benefits that come along with him. I love the things that are associated with what goes with him. I say that I love him. Well, I mean, I have to because I, I don't want to go to hell. And so you, you would have to say that you love Jesus. And Jesus just becomes an escape mechanism for you to get out of the situation rather than for you to get into an intimate place of relationship with a real person that's going to transform your life. It's going to do something in your heart that's actually going to free you from all of the deceptive and manipulative motivations that are trying consistently to condition you to live in a way that denies him, even though regardless of what you think comes out of your mouth. And the writer says, You've loved righteousness and you've hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy above your fellows or your companions, your contemporaries. There's a strong point being made here. You've loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Um, we're, we're just going to make it super simple. Do you love what he loves and hate what he hates? Do you? Because we're living in days where it's time to come out of hiding. Um, the world around us has an agenda and it is no longer being secretive about its motives. Now we understand that this has been developing, it's been culminating for quite some time. And even what we are experiencing right now, the scriptures is telling us that it is still not the worst of what is to come in the consideration of the escalation of darkness. Jesus himself, for all of us who right now um, read the scriptures to satisfy our own agenda, rather than just letting Jesus say what he's saying and then allowing that to affect our hearts and bring the rightful and needed change to our lives and our perspectives. Uh, there's way too much of that. We read the scriptures, we massage certain scripture verses so that it accommodates my agenda rather than the love of God in my heart conquering self-love and the love of the world where I can now radically align myself to God and radically align myself to his agenda 
we take certain scriptures and we salt and pepper them on our own worldly agendas so that we can conceivably live my own way, live my own truth, live to accommodate all of my own ambitions, dreams, and desires, rather than understanding that the whole nature of the game has been set up to actually demolish the influence of the world in our hearts so that we can more freely and joyfully give ourselves to Jesus. Because again, for those of us who consider our current moment of life that we are living in, Paul says that there is coming a day when we will see him. And in seeing him, there will be those that shrink back from him in shame. Think about this. When time comes to an end, meaning the end of the age, because the end of the age and even all through the book of Revelation, um, it, it's not about the increase of darkness. That's not where the emphasis should be. It's not about the harlot of Babylon. It's not about uh, all of the things that get associated with the end time situation, that these are not the main point of the end time situation. Yes, we understand that the enemy realizes that time is running out for him to fulfill his agenda. He understands that when the son of man returns, that there is judgment coming upon him and all of his crew. We understand that powers, principalities, rulers of the age, the enemy himself, all of them will be judged. They will be evicted. It will be an eternal situation. And the enemy understands, which is why it will become more aggressive, which is why there will seem to be a rise. There will be a full-on demonstration of darkness in an attempt to bring as many with him as he possibly can into what he knows is his eternal fate. We get that. But the point is not the darkness. Even as it says in Revelation 1, the, re the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the revealing of this beautiful man. It's the coming again of this bridegroom king. It's the son of man that will come riding upon the clouds. The emphasis is not on darkness. The emphasis is always and always will be on Jesus. Jesus is the point at the end of the age. Jesus is the point in what will seem to be the darkest hour of human history. And at least those are Jesus's words in Matthew 24. For all of those who in an attempt um, try to pretend as if this situation, you do understand, uh, you can in whatever degree you choose dodge truth, but it does not change truth. You can, in whatever degree that you may choose, rally agreement against truth. But even your agreement of what you would want not to be true does not make it any less true than what it actually is. Your denial of truth does not change the things that are actually true. Your outright rejection of truth does not change what is actually true. And Jesus talks about a time period towards the end of the age where he says there will be darkness unlike any other time period known in human history. And he actually says that if that time had not been cut short, that no one would be able to persevere through it. 
Do you love him and do you love what he loves? And do you hate what he hates? The agenda in our culture, I actually posted something earlier about this, is to disciple us according to its desires. There is a massive discipleship effort, a massive discipleship agenda that has been launched. It is no longer a hidden thing. It is no longer a secret. There's no cover up. There's no attempt to minimize or distort the language. Um, the language, the agenda, the activities, the terms have been laid down and it is a full-blown assault in an attempt to disciple a culture according to uh, what I would say are demonic desires and agenda. Uh, when I said I posted about it earlier, I posted a clip from the Muppet Babies. The Muppet Babies. The Muppet Babies. Where Gonzo was a trans. And there was an attempt through the agenda in the show to indoctrinate little kids. Because, I mean, unless you're grown, you know what I mean? Unless you're like 40, 50, 60 years old sitting around watching Muppet Babies. I mean, you may, hey, I get down with the Muppets. I love the Muppet shows, the Muppet movies. Um, that was a thing of the past. I, I can't even tell you the last time I watched one, but I used to get down with the Muppets. Um, but there is an intentional decision to bring discipleship to our culture. And the target is young folks. The target is children in a very heavy way that they might be conditioned in earlier stages of life and raised through the agenda to disciple them according to the culture's desires that it has. Again, we're talking about trans characters, Gonzo, a trans character in the Muppets. Do you love what Jesus loves? Do you love what he loves? Do you love righteousness? Do you love righteousness? Converse recently laid out their new ad of the dark shadow. It's a pentagram. It's full-blown devils, Satanists, all types of dark, corrupt imagery. And in the write-up, it says, we feel that it depicts and represents an invitation to an alternative way of life built on pleasure and satisfaction. Uh, let me just go ahead and tell you, in any way that you may be deceived into a false sense of pleasure now, there's going to come a moment where we understand in a very full way that all of the things that we believe satisfied us actually led us to death. All of the things that we believed were promising us to fuel us and give us life in a moment were actually leading us astray. All of the ways that we have been taught, all of the ways that we have been told, all of the ways that we have been conditioned by our culture in a continual effort to disciple us according to its desires, all of the ways that we have come to believe that doing you is what's right, you will understand that at the end of the age when we see him, 
when God releases him, there will be things that fill our hearts that we are not able to in that moment change. We're going to see him. And Paul says that some of us are going to be filled with shame and we're going to shrink back. We're going to see him. And when we see him, let me tell you what there's not going to be any time for, because I think this is important. There's not going to be any time in that moment to say to yourself and even to him, let me go back and change the way that I lived. Because we understand that when there's no more time, there's no more time. At the end of the age, there will be no more time. Um, Jesus will return. Death will be abolished forever. Time will no longer be something that governs our lives. We will be glorified. We will live in the place of eternity. We will behold him. We will be wowed by him and satisfied him. We will rule alongside of him forever as his rightful companion, his bride, the people of his possession, his inheritance, his reward. We will be with Jesus in what is known as forever. Um, and to the degree that we developed or cultivated a love for him here on this side of life, then and there we will be rewarded by him for the love that we developed for him. But in that moment, there will not be any opportunity for you to change the content of your heart. There will not be time to change the content of your heart when we see him. You will not be able to make the necessary adjustments. You will not be able to, in that moment, consider, man, I denied you my whole life, but there you are. Man, I lived for myself. Man, I did my own thing. Man, I did the bare minimum of what my culture says satisfied your desires. Man, all I did, man, I attended a meeting here and there. Man, I read scripture every great once in a while. Man, you know, I gave in offerings every once in a while. I did the bare minimum that society or culture told me I had to do in order to satisfy the statement, Jesus, I love you. I did what my culture said a Christian looked like. I did what society conditioned everyone around me to believe what was the bare minimum in order to get me access into the age to come. But there you are. There you are. And there'll be no time to change what's in our hearts. Um, I, you know, there just, there just has to come a point where it's like, man, check this out. I, I can either play games my whole life I can sidestep all the real issues. I can hang out on the fringes. I can straddle the fence. I can try to walk a fine line where I get enough of the benefits of Jesus, but I also get to do me and fulfill all of my worldly desires and the objectives that I've created that in many times are only associated with this time period of life. Like the song sings, and in that day, you alone will be exalted. And all of the idols that we formed, all of the worldly goals that are actually the idols that we worshiped, we will understand in that great day when you are exalted above every other thing 
thing. Every other ruler, king, power, principality, every other idol that we formed in our own affections and loved and worshiped our whole life, you will be exalted above all of those things and all of what was worthless, hollow, bankrupt, futile, pointless, did not align itself with your agenda. All of those things will be made real in that day. But let me tell you something. You don't have to wait until that day. You don't have to wait until that day to realize the futility of the idols that we worship. You don't have to wait until Jesus returns in order for the bankrupt pursuits, the things that have taken your affections hostage and that are getting you to serve its demands. All of those other lovers in your heart, they can be dealt with now. You don't have to wait until you see Jesus for those things to be confronted. And here's the point. Either we are really going to be about this life or you're going to play games for the rest of your life. And when I say actually be about this life, what I am saying is it's time to be a disciple of Jesus. It is time to let Jesus's word, the Bible, the scriptures, and the influence and the work of the spirit in our hearts actually disciple us into a real living on fire follower of Jesus. Because in any way, in any place that your life is not receiving discipleship from the scriptures and the spirit, it is receiving discipleship from another source. And here is the point, right? So some of us let Wall Street disciple us according to finances rather than the scriptures. Right? Some of us have all of our business gurus and all of our people that we follow and all of the rich, wealthy, influential billionaires and so on and so forth throughout the world. We let Silicon Valley disciple us according to business and finances more than we do the scriptures. But let me tell you what the plumb line is. Let me tell you what the measuring rod actually is. The measuring rod is Jesus's desires, regardless of the way the rest of the world has created its own. We follow celebrities for them to disciple us according to our practices in life. We're following people in Hollywood, people in the NBA, we're following people in the music industry so that they can tell us how to raise our kids and love our spouse. So that they can tell us the way that we should politically align and create certain affiliations. We're following people in the world and they're bringing discipleship to our life. But there's gotta come a moment. There's gotta come a moment where we get delivered from all of the cultural influence that is attempting to shape our perspective. There's gotta come a moment where we let the world be the world and we turn our face towards the son of man and we lift our hearts to Jesus and Jesus only. And we realize if you do not do something in me, if you do not deliver me from these other influences, I will look like more of a disciple of the world more than I will look like a disciple of yours. Um, because the world is coming hot and heavy 
with their discipleship agenda. The world is coming hot and heavy with their discipleship agenda. Um, you understand all of the corruption right now that is saturating our culture. And it is on full-blown display. Again, there is no more hiding. There is no more hiding. Every single place where God's influence, his authority, and his loving boundaries for creation and his sons and daughters, there is an intentional assault in order to demolish, deconstruct, and do away with altogether everything that's associated with God and those that love him and love his ways. And it is hitting every single part of culture. And if you think that hiding from the situation is going to make it go away, you have absolutely lost your mind. If you think that you can bury your head in the sand, that you can hide your life in a box, that you can just quarantine in your home for the rest of your life, and it's just going to somehow make everything turn back into tulips, skipping through the flowers. It's all just again going to be nice and bright and easy and neat and cute. Whenever I determine to step out of my house again, you have lost your mind. You are living in a falsified sense of reality. You are bound to a fear of what is actually going on and how what is actually going on is attempting to overrun what it is that our lives are supposed to be about. But here we are. And in some cases, it's time to get delivered from our culture's idea of what a Christian should be. And it's time to become a disciple of Jesus. And it's time to let the influence of the word and the spirit bring discipleship to our lives. Now, now what am I saying when I say get delivered from the culture's influence? Um, what I'm saying is that most of us need to be delivered from our Americanized version of Christianity so that we can actually become a real disciple of Jesus. Because our culture has said, all you need to do is attend a 60 minute, 90 minute, two hour gathering on Sunday, pray before your meals and give in some offerings. And you're a Christian. We understand that the scriptures and the spirit bear witness that there is a way more radical life and a much more hefty cost associated with following Jesus. And that is exactly the point. We have tried to, for a time period, satisfy our worldly desires with doing what the culture says, rather than allowing what Jesus says to bring real transformation to our lives, even if our lives no longer fit nice and neat into the culture around us. But this is where the oil of joy is. The oil of joy is when we love what he loves and we hate what he hates. 
The oil of joy is when we align our lives with him and with his agenda. The oil of joy is when we give ourselves fully, wholeheartedly, no longer living for the world, but now fully living for Jesus, no longer giving way, no longer creating space to all of the desires of the agenda to disciple our lives through the cultural effort, no longer giving space for that agenda, but fully giving ourselves over to a discipleship effort to be disciples of Jesus. Um, this is where we should be. We should be disciples. Our lives should be in an intentional, ongoing way. Receive discipline for us to remain aligned with God and his ways to stay in love with Jesus and what Jesus loves. This is the effort of the disciplining on our lives so that we just don't say we love him and then deny him with the way that we live. So that we just don't claim to love him and then yet simultaneously look just like the world do everything the world does, be discipled by the world and all of its ways so that there's no clear distinction. There's no difference. When all of the situations are surveyed, we do everything that the rest of the world does. And do not give me this nonsense about worldliness is relevance because this is what we are seeing in this moment that we are living in. There seems to be this weird association with worldliness in order to create more relevance. We don't have to be like them to reach them. We don't have to do what they do in order to be more appealing to them. We don't have to do everything that's associated with what they say is right or fitting or cool in order for our lives to be more provoking to them. As a matter of fact, the more that you become like them, the less provoking you are to them. And we're seeing it right now. There's this wild thought that the more of the world that we have, that the more appealing to the world we become. Where are those? that love him and love what he loves and who are not willing to compromise regardless of what the culture says, who have gone all in with Jesus, who have gone all in with what it is that he loves, who realize that there's a standard that's been laid down, who understand that wrong is still wrong. Sin is still sin. I don't care if we've grown to a place where we don't like the way that Jesus handles himself. He handles himself the way he handles himself. And the way that he handles himself, meaning he loves what he loves and he hates what he hates. And no amount of our emotional, our own self-inflated desires, no amount of that is going to change him. Um, but we're seeing it right now. We're seeing it right now. And you know it as well as I do. Worldliness is being associated with relevance. We're seeing massive compromise on a variety of fronts in order to be more appealing to the world. 
We're seeing it right now. Indoctrination, the agenda to disciple a generation that's being released through a variety of channels and avenues and means, um, whether it's movies and music, again, whether it's kids' TV shows, whether it's the curriculum that's being taught, that's being brought down into elementary schools, middle schools, it's already been radicalized in high schools and college campuses, that there is an attempt, whether it be through mainstream media, news outlets, political agendas, there is an attempt right now for the culture to bring discipleship because there are desires that the culture has. And if we do not recognize that we are accelerating into what is the end time scenario. Why do the nations rage against the Lord and his anointed one? But we understand Jesus is seated. He laughs. Why do the rulers and the peoples plot in vain? Which means the outcome is secure. No amount of darkness is going to derail God's ultimate objective. No amount of demonically inspired agenda that gets released into the nations of the earth is going to be able to derail the ultimate outcome that God is steering all of history towards. God is going to have what God wants at the end of the age. That much is absolutely clear. It is settled. Jesus said it is finished in John 19. It is done. It is complete. He is seated. He laughs. Why do the people and the rulers make their plot in vain? It is empty at the end of the age. Their eternal fate has been secured by the broken body of the Son of God. The blood poured out, the grave that he faced, the sin that he overcame, and hell that he conquered. He was raised up. He is alive on the other side of death. He is an eternal human ascended into the heavens where right now he is seated, overseeing, and still governmentally uh, guiding all of creation and history towards the outcome that he has determined for himself at the end of the age. They make their plots in vain. We've heard it said, you only have one life to live. Um, that's mostly because we don't believe in reincarnation. You're not coming back as a, an oak tree or a cockroach. Um, you don't have another life to live. You have one life to live. And in this one life that you get to live, there is one life where you have the opportunity to develop a love for Jesus that is going to radically affect your whole life. And you have one opportunity, whatever time period that may be, for no man knows the day or the hour. No man knows the day or the hour even for our own lives. Right? James says, any man who says what he will do a year from now and so on is actually the arrogance of man. It's pride. For life is but a vapor. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. We don't even know what will happen to us tomorrow. So to consider that we have X amount of days left where we can get it together 
X amount of days left where we can kind of do our own thing and then we can align with Jesus later. X amount of days where, you know, I enjoy the way that I got things set up right now and I'm going to go all in, but I'm going to do it later. I'm really going to live for him, but I'm going to pay the price later. I've counted the cost, but I'm not willing to actually pay that yet. I'm going to do it a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now. You don't know what's going to happen to you later on this afternoon, much less 10 years from now. And we have one opportunity to really give it all for Jesus. We have one shot to let the way that we love him affect our lives. We have one chance to live for him the way that he desires. Because at the end of your life, there will not be an opportunity. There are no mulligans. You don't get another swing. You don't get a do-over. You're not gonna be able to rewind five years so that you can make the necessary changes so that you can feel better about yourself on the day when we have to stand before him. We have one chance and that chance is actually being lived out right now. Do you love what he loves? Because I'm telling you, this is discipleship. Do you love what he loves and do you hate what he hates? This is discipleship and we are disciples of Jesus. We are followers of Jesus and it's time to live like it. It's time to live like it. It's time to get delivered from the influence of our sin saturated culture. It's time to get delivered from the influence of our Americanized worldly def definition of Christianity. It's time to get deliverance so that we can become disciples because he longs to have a people that will love for him and live for him the way that he desires and the way that he deserves. As a matter of fact, he laid down his life to make sure that he could have this people. He was brutally executed. He spilled his own blood. He gave his own life in order to secure that in every moment until history comes to a conclusion, he has the way to have the people that he desires. And not just the people that he desires, but the people that he deserves. He deserves a people that will live for him and love him well, even at the consideration of how confrontational it will be to the culture around us. And even at the consequence of the loss of our own lives, he desires this people and he deserves this people. It's time to become this people. And it's time to give our lives in an intentional way to the discipleship efforts that are going to make us into this people. Because again, in any space or place where your life is not being discipled by Jesus, meaning his word and the influence of the spirit, then you are being discipled through other means and other sources. But it's time because he desires this people and he deserves this people. And this is what I'm going to pray um, because it is what my heart is on fire for. Not just right now. It is what I'm giving my life for. I'm giving my life to see Jesus have this people. 
I am giving my life to see Jesus have this people. As Paul said at the end of Colossians 1, I have a desire and it is my desire to present you mature before the Lord at the end of the age. Paul knew that he was giving his life in order to ready a people to meet Jesus. And this is what my heart is on fire for, that God would form this people by the power of the Spirit and ready them to be presented to his Son. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We pray that it has fanned into flame the love that you have for him. If you would like more information about Burning Ones, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on social media, visit our website, burningones.org, or download our app.